Yeah. Mm. That's right. DK the Punisher. Smooth as wine. Uh. Episode 3. Cello here. Another episode of Bedroom Beethoven's, the show where I talk to people a lot more creative and successful than myself. Hope you had a nice Valentine's Day. Got to spend quality time with your lady or your man. I don't really have a good segue here. In fact, I don't have one at all. However, my guest this week will almost make you hate him. DK the Punisher, a.k.a. Donovan Christopher Knight. I'm sure he doesn't want me telling y'all his real name, but hey, we're going to strip down and get all the way human on here. He has seen levels of success before the age of 18 that most people work their whole lives towards. I learned so much from him, and you will too. This was such a treat, ladies and gentlemen. The main idea I have is success might seem attainable when a guy just lists off his accomplishments rapid fire. And then people might think, yo, man, if I'm just talented enough, won't a record label will eventually scoop me up and deal with all these things for me? I mean, we both know it doesn't work like that. It's talent. Talent and hard work. Luck. Opportunity. There are a lot of talented musicians out there. What you need to stand out these days is a true connection with super fans who are going to buy your merch, go to concerts, and talk about you to everyone they know. And they want to see social media numbers that reflect that rabid fan base. A tour history to show that you can uh, successfully tour on your own. And buzzworthy press. It may feel like a lot, but with patience, planning, and a clear head, it's all within your reach. If you're listening to this, it's all within your reach. Remember, having a business mindset about your music career, it's not selling out. It's just the reality of what it takes to be successful. And it's one of the most important lessons you can learn. This week, DK the Punisher has worked with Jill Scott, Justin Bieber, Music Soul Child, J-Rock, Anderson Pock, before Oxnard. Oxnard's good, but pre-Oxnard is oof, so good. The Venice, Malibu. Oof. There are no shortcuts around consistency. Episode three. Again, I'm your host, Cello, and you're tuned into It's the Bedroom Beethoven the punisher man i'm I'm a bit intimidated because you seem like a nice guy but that's an aggressive name oh (laughs) i'm I'm a bit new to you but you're not a hard guy to find like once i peeled back the layer of like obvious producers pharrell temple and just blaze and i go down to like layer two there you are highly visible oh that's crazy i'm uh i didn't know i was uh i was i was that high on on the layers i would i would i would think at least layer Five or six, but I appreciate it. Yeah, you were you were on my short list to get. Um, I you know, and also you know, it's a Sunday afternoon, arguably the second easiest time of the week next to Sunday morning, and you're a kind yeah. enough soul to talk to me, talk shop for a bit. So, man, I love to man. I, I love I love talking about you know what I do and music and, and just everything about it. I'm, I'm so engulfed in it, so it's it's a pleasure, man, for real. Well, I'm I'm not a music producer. I feel the same way you do. I'm just a fan, and I love hearing those stories. Nice. I, I think that's what kind of makes this podcast a little interesting and kind of has its own little spin. So, um, yeah, so I guess we'll start with low-hanging fruit. How are you? How's everything? You been good? Man, I'm awesome, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm great. How's everything with you? Everything's good, man. I, I love doing a podcast because, like, all I need is a microphone and an internet connection, and I'm able to create just like you like i'm just i'm just a creator and you know i don't have any expectations on on the show but hopefully it i i'm like you i just i build i build i build and something some greatness will come out of it nice 
Yeah, and you know, I did a little due diligence on you, uh, a little closer under the microscope, and I was pleasantly surprised to know that you worked with so many artists that I've been inadvertently listening to for years. And I'm I'm from Austin, Texas, so a lot of these artists don't necessarily fall across your lap. And I'm talking about Tyron Iomari and Mosh and Twist uh, and Sir and Don Kennedy. I'm fans of all of them, man. I really am. That's that's crazy, dog. I just ran into. Um Toronto Ao at a uh, at the homie's birthday party last night. I hadn't seen them in a minute, like at least a year. So it was it was good running into them. So to me, they're just sound bites on my Spotify. But like you can, they're human figures to you. You know, yeah, yeah. Really crazy <laughs> man. They they played a, a big part in where I am today for sure. Like, yeah, and uh, don't worry, we're going to get into all of that. Sorry, just, sorry. The best thing about this podcast for me is like just listening and enjoying your work over the years, but I just I didn't know it. And now I have this opportunity to talk to you and show you some appreciation, assign a face to your melodies. Uh, it really is an impressive body of work. Man, I appreciate it. Thank you. And I actually have a funny story about how I was introduced to, uh, I think it's Mosh and Twist. They worked with a guy named Hoodie Allen. Uh, that I was kind of in, I wouldn't say I'm into, but you know, he was on a couple of playlists of mine mm-hmm. and me and my boy went to go see Hoodie Allen in concert and man, guess who opened up for him? Um, g Easy, and nobody knew who he was. What? No, like the, the crowd was just mild until Hoodie Allen came on and then people got off their seat. And then like, I don't know, four years later, he's on stage with Britney Spears at like the VMAs. Like, so that, that was always a crazy story for me. That's crazy, man. I, I'm I'm not I'm not like super familiar with Hoodie Allen. Like I've been hearing his name for for years. Like like probably since around the time I, I was working with uh, Motion Twist around like uh, 2011, 2012. But yeah. it seems like he he's had like a steady fan base. You know, like like a, a loyal fan base. Really, like people that come out to his shows and support his music. And he doesn't really you know chase the the, the quote unquote mainstream success. Like yeah, his, fan, I, his fans just hold him down. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty humble guy. I just don't know how I'd react to if I was an artist and someone opened up for me and I was bigger than them at the time and then they're like superstar. I mean, right. you want to put your friends on and you want to feel good and you don't want to be negative, but I don't know if sometimes he comes home and, <laughs> and he just thinks about it sometimes. Um, yeah. The crazy thing about him is like he used to work at Google and he quit his job at Google. So he had like a really high paying corporate job. Where's the whole G-Easy? Uh, Hoodie Allen. To, oh, wow. Yeah, to like pursue. The, the thing about g is back then he was like a doo-wop rapper. You know, he he would sing over like 70 doo-wop beats. And of course, when he got signed, he completely transformed. And now he's like super mainstream. But regardless, it, you know, it's a funny story. And, and um, but yeah, let, let's start all the way back from the beginning. You know, I want to know like the full 360. So, you know, where did you grow up and wherever you grew up, was hip hop a big influence around your hood growing up? Um, man, I, I grew up in, in Baltimore, Maryland. I grew up in the 90s, so, like, you know, hip-hop was was huge, like, everywhere. I wasn't really, when I was, like, super young, I wasn't really able to, to get access to it that much. You know, like, I kind of had to sneak and listen to the, the hip-hop radio stations and stuff. So I feel like that kind of kind of fueled my curiosity towards it because it was kind of taboo. Like, even when I got older, like, certain rap, you know, I kind of had to put the headphones on and listen to, like, if I was listening to my, my, my Cassidy or my, you know, Jada Kiss or whatever, that was a little a little too, you know, curse word heavy or, or edgy or whatever. Uh, we're, talk, we're talking about your parents right now. They didn't want you listening yeah. to that. yeah. yeah. <laughs> So they didn't. So when you when you got interested, your parents just weren't having it. Like, hey, mom, I want to start making beats now. Nah, I ain't, I ain't buying you nothing. I mean, it, it's kind of weird because I started rapping before I started making beats. So, like from the time I was like eight or nine to around like eleven, twelve ish, I always had like a, a notepad with me. Either like I used to draw at first. You know, when I was younger and then when I really got into rapping, I was like, I always had like a, a composition notebook with me writing raps or whatever. So that was kind of the norm. You know what I mean? It wasn't really, it was just, it was just there. Like it was just something that was, and it wasn't really encouraged or discouraged. Like it was really just kind of me and my brothers, like our interest in, 
in rap. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in the nineties. I'm, I, we're, we got to be the same age then. I grew up in the nineties, and mm-hmm. I had, I think, my first rap taste was like the Fugees. I had Mace Harlem World. I had wow. Eight Ball, Get Lost, uh, a lot of the old No Limit um, CD covers that were like graphic design the hell. Um, yeah, and my mom would just like she would just break the CDs, like she would just <laughs> see the parental advisory and like, nah, this ain't happening. But now I'm a parent. I got two kids, and I. I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I was like, man, you know, if my kids were, if they had a notebook and they were going around and they were writing down rhymes or they were uh, mocking up album covers and drawing it or putting together bars and rhymes, I would try to get past the curse words and see how creative my kids are being right now. Like, right. it's not just something where like you need to stop living and listening to the devil's music. It's like my kid is writing content. They are, they're composing ideas and, uh, I mean, I mean, what what other thing other than like video games can get a kid that excited and creative at such a young age? Right, same. But I mean, I, I understand it. You know, like getting older, I've, I've, you know, I used to kind of have a sort of resentment towards my parents for it. But it's like, man, I understand they were young parents first of all, and there was so much other stuff going on. It was, you know, me. I had two older brothers and. It wasn't just, I wasn't just interested in music, you know, like we still had video games, we still played sports, and it's got to be tough trying to cater to all those interests. You don't know what's going to stick, you know what I mean? So I I, I really don't fault them too much for that, especially, you know, being where I'm at. I'm like, if it wasn't for kind of having to pursue it so much on my own, I don't know if I would have had you know, develop that muscle, develop the drive to, to kind of push through. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, if my mom would have bought me all the beats and any CDs I wanted, it's kind of the silver lining. I probably wouldn't have hustled the way I hustled. Right. And then you and your siblings, uh, or maybe cousins that kind of fell down that rabbit hole with you. Oh yeah, man. My, um, I have an older brother that's like a year and a half older than me. So when I was like 12, I, uh, my mom got like a, a a new computer, like a, a uh, like a newer generation Dell computer where we had had like an old shitty, like super shitty computer, like. And I was still trying to figure out, you know, how I could use the 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 sound recorder or whatever to figure out how to record some raps or whatever. But once we got a newer computer, and um, I mean, somebody told me that, hey, you know, you can like record music on your computer, like make beats or whatever. I was like. Once I got that, I was like off and running. I was just trying to figure out how to do it and, and download programs. And so, like, I think the very night that I found the the like the multi track recording program, me and my brother recorded like a freestyle. Just because, like, we were always together, and we were like, you know, it, it was like part of the culture to like, you know, kind of freestyle when you with your homies. You know what I mean? Chilling and somebody get to playing some instrumentals or whatever, and and. It, that was just always a, a part of our lives, you know. So it was kind of, uh, yeah, you were kind of cool if you could rap, I would say. Like back in that time when we were growing up. So this is so, uh, like around high school, like just. Nah, this was like, this was like early, this was like middle school. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost it, it's kind of like you know different generational thing. You might as well have said, "Oh, I was saving my lunch money so I could go crate digs, so I could find a right. sample." <laughs> right. It's so much easier. Like my mom got a new computer, and pff, rest is history. Boom, yeah. superstar. <laughs> and then, all right, so you're in middle school, and then that love because you know I I look at your background, and not to jump the gun, but you became so successful so young. How that obviously probably wasn't the end goal. But you're in middle school, you you're you're working on your ten thousand hours, right? What's what's the next step? Now, how do you take it more serious? Are you are you forming a a group? Are you performing locally? The fact that I wasn't really sharing it with anybody, I wasn't really gonna be like, yo yo yo, I got this talent, blah blah blah. Put me in a studio, give me some beats or whatever, whatever. Right. I just I just didn't have that in me at the time, so it was like. It was kind of like my secret project. So I was like, man, how can I do as much of this on my own as possible to where I can present it to people where it's already good? 
you know, yeah. to where to where I'm not so insecure about it. Uh, me and my brother started recording raps with my cousins. Like they they were taking it, you know, a little bit more serious than us. So we were like recording mixtapes or whatever. The song sounded horrible, by the way. So it, it's funny. Like back then, we thought they were the shit, but like sound quality was was terrible. So I understand why it didn't really go any further than it did, but. It was like, man, like we thought that we thought we were dope. Like we thought we were ready. Mm-hmm. I got into it super early. I had more time to kind of make those mistakes. Like, so when my older cousins were like, it's like, all right, you know, we having fun with this, but at a certain point, real life is going to kick in and, you know, real responsibilities to where, you know, whether it's, you know, having kids or, or just, you know, having to take care of themselves. Like, you know, everybody had to get jobs at a certain point. And if it wasn't really working out or looking like it was heading in that direction, it, it kind of, you know, fell off. So producing was kind of a natural evolution. Like I would imagine back in, what was this? If we're in the time frame of early 2000s, Kanye West through the wires coming out where yeah. uh, a producer could be a rapper. And, Man. you know, a, a lot of kids are like, they don't realize, oh, that was a Shaka Khan sample. Like, I don't even, I, th- that was before my time. Right. I don't have to loop. I don't have to scratch. I don't have to crate dig. I can, I can grab a sample and I can manipulate it enough to where I'm not going to get sued. It's cool. This is like a new way to sample. This is a new way to create music. Uh, well, first of all, through the wire, like, seeing that video and when that album came out and learning about Kanye and, and his past, like that's what drew me to making beats. I was like, yo, this dude is, is dope. Like I love this sound. I love everything about it. Like I want, I want to have that for myself. Like I want is weird. I, I want, I wanted people to react to what I was doing the way that I was reacting to what he was doing. How were you reacting to it? Like, was that like your first emotional response to like Dude. I saw something on the TV, and like you know that's like that. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Feeling isn't it? Yeah, really, yeah. I, my mind was blown. I was like, "How is he doing this? Why does it touch me in this way?" Like it, it was, it was soulful. It was like everything I grew up on. You know, around my parents, like they were playing soul music, but it was hip hop, and it was. It was introspective, and it wasn't like it was rap that I could connect with because I wasn't, you know, like before then when I was rapping, I was, you know, rapping about what I thought was cool. I was rapping about busting guns and 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 you know, robbing people and, and just violence and, and stuff. I wasn't really doing, but it was people around me, I guess, that were you know doing that. But that was that was never really my personality. So to hear somebody rapping about insecurity or rapping about you know just just regular human emotions and sounding cool while they're doing it it was like it was something new to me so i i gravitated towards that so much and plus everybody around like it was still cool like everybody loved it like from the street dudes to to you know regular working people to like everybody was just in kanye and that just it just blew my mind what he was doing I think for me, it's like he wasn't the first of his kind to come out with music. You know, we all know about conscious rap and all that. But it's like, uh, you know, I know you worked with, uh, you know, Big Pooh and BET refused to play Little Brother because they deemed it too intelligent. But okay, I'm going to take this guy. He's attached to Jay-Z. We'll play him. Maybe, you know, I'm not an A&R. I'm not a, a record exec. But it's like maybe we could take conscious rap that has a really strong following and make it mainstream and it was a pivotal time because i you know i know you worked with big poo like really early and it's it, mm-hmm. for me it was impressive because it's like okay big poo's gonna fuck with a teenager when he has ninth wonder in his back pocket that's right. phenomenal you know and minstrel show is one of my favorites that one joint Man, that, uh, how can it be to roll the number down it's here in front of me i got the number down right here i'm looking at it i couldn't believe she would do me like that big I just don't understand it, dog. I can't understand it. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome y'all back to the Minstrel Show. Thank y'all for tuning in. Y'all can be watching a lot of other states. Y'all tuning in. And that's like, 
if I could have seen that on BET at the time, I probably would have been right there with you. I probably was crazy. I saw that on <laughs> BET, dog. Like the first time I ever heard that, I, I saw the video on BET and I was like, what is this? Like, I got to find out who these guys are. I went straight to LimeWire, looked up all the little brother I could find because I was like, yo. But there was no outlet. Like, and that's why a lot of my friends who listen to rap, they're going to listen to like Juicy J or whatever Spotify is going to recommend. But when you find when you come across like a song like that, you can't just go to BET and learn more. You have to go on the Internet. You got to Google and it, sure. you start developing this love of looking up artists, which is why I love doing this podcast. So you kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit like that music wasn't very accessible, but it was so good. Right. And it's crazy. So around that time, too, uh, MySpace, I don't know, might have been on its way out or it could have been big. Was that ever an avenue uh, kind of like how SoundCloud is being used. Was that an avenue for you to kind of hook up with people? Man, that was huge. I, that's that's how I first connected with Toronto Elmar. When I was in high school around like 2008, I saw, I don't know if you ever heard of Pac Div. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so I saw their video on like um, MTV's like kind of independent like when well, they would play kind of indie artists or whatever, they would play their video. So right. I saw that video, um, Fat Boys on there, and I was just like, "Holy shit, who are these guys from this place?" Like you know, dressing crazy colors and you know all this all this stuff. I thought was cool, and but they can rap their asses off, like all three of them. Like I'd never I'd never heard a, a trio of rappers where all three of them were dope as fuck. So I did the same thing with them, I, I, but it was like MySpace time. So, you know, I found their MySpace and really I kind of like stalked them from there, like and, and just started checking out all the artists they were friends with. That's how I kind of got connected with Dom Kennedy and and Toronto Omari around that same time. So I was just kind of looking up everybody that was in that vein. Of what what they were doing. It just seemed like a less complicated time. I mean, like by the time you're 18, you put in your 10,000 hours. You've gone on the radio. You work with Justice League, Little Brother. The W's just keep coming. You're making it seem like the shit is easy. <laughs> you know, man, that's it was, it was it was so not easy. <laughs> that's what's crazy, man. It's like I I felt like man by the time I was like 21, and I I um I ended up you know getting a, a Justin Bieber placement. I felt like I was doing it forever you know what i mean like but it's it's weird because i've i've been kind of entrenched in the producer community you know via the internet for so long that i know so many different stories i know people that i literally know a a guy that got paid 15 grand for the first beat he ever sold yeah so it's like it's 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 crazy you know stories and people like it's all types of i'm using my hands and whatever i'm uh, <laughs> keep you can't see me but it's like it's so many different levels and and just just different variations of of the path that it's like i would i would compare myself to you know what other people were doing so much that i felt like i wasn't doing shit you know i guess hindsight is 2020 because looking back at the you know working with pool and working with serana ao and stuff like that like it it means something to my career but back then it was just like i was trying to get my foot in the door really now i have kind of my chance to like voice my i've always had an opinion on justin bieber because i remember when he came out and mm-hmm. he sang songs of like youth and innocence and lost girlfriends and shit now he's an adult he's married he's a grown man i get that but at what point did he just seamlessly blend over into hip-hop so hard and accepting because i'm over here a few years back i'm bumping the new raekwon album there's yeah. fucking Justin Bieber on there singing hooks on DJ Khaled songs and he's on stage rapping with Drake and Big Sean and he literally hijacked Pooh Bear and was like you're not going to get on that plane you're going to stay here you don't need to work with anybody else right why would you want to work with anyone else I got all the money so of course he's going to stay there so I don't know to, like tell me about that switch because maybe I can find some answers to this by learning about your experiences and journey working with them man well first of all I like pop music and, and hip hop have been so intertwined for, you know, man, at least the last decade, you know, like just kind of intermingling with each other. Like before he was working with Pooh Bear, he, he had a song with Drake, you know, back when he was kind of doing his, his kitty or stuff. Like it was, it was uh, a few hip hop producers that would, you know, 
that would get tracks to him here and there. I think he had a joint with Hit Boy, you know, back before he made the transition. So it was always kind of that influence was always kind of there. But um, it's funny though, the whole Pooh Bear thing is like, man. So when I was when I was out in LA um, for the first time, it was because I was uh, I was in the songwriting camp with. Andre Harris from Dran Vidal, who are like, they're known for doing like Music Soul Child and Jill Scott and all that. But also, they did um, they did two joints on, on Usher Confessions, which was uh, Caught Up and Superstar. Oh, that came out when I was in college. That was a monster, monster. Yeah, album. man. And I used to, uh, it's funny, like I was, I was living in his crib and I just, I would just walk past those plaques like all the time, just stare at them like, fuck. 15 million, like, yeah. worldwide? Like, really? Yeah. Okay. But, um, Pooh Bear and Ryan Toby from City High wrote both of those songs. So, they're, uh, like, they've been tight since, like, the late 90s, you know, uh, Pooh Bear and Dre. Mm-hmm. So, when Pooh Bear, like, kind of first really, you know, got in there, in there with, with Justin. He came to Dre's house like, yo, like, Justin's working and he's doing R&B. Like, he wants to do, like, real R&B. So, I mean, he came to to pretty much the guy, you know, the, the, the sole guy, the R&B dude. And Dre kind of just gave him a bunch of stuff that, you know, everybody was working on in the house. And, you know, I gave him a bunch of beats or whatever. And, uh... But yeah, I remember that that first that first kind of powwow. Like that was my first time meeting Pooh Bear, and you know we were just sitting in 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 the crib studio, just kind of chopping it up, talking about music, talking about you know the direction Justin was taking and and kind of where R and B was. And he's from what I saw, he's like genuinely a, a fan. Like he's it wasn't you know so much of a calculated thing. So. And you're in L.A. now, correct? Mm-hmm. Is that because of Andre Harris? For the most part, yeah. I like him a lot. Uh, I know he's kind of like, uh, hey, if you need an R&B record, I'm the doctor you come see. But yeah. we, we share that same philosophy in I always looked at old Janet Jackson records and like the R&Bs of the 90s. And if you look mm-hmm. at the production credits, what you know, what do you see? I, I don't see a Justice League of producers. In fact, it's pretty rare for a... a, a a producer to produce the majority of an RB record today or even a rap project today. And I was always thinking like, man, what changed? And I want to believe it is like people don't think like you, like I'm just going to work with my friends or I'm just going to work with people who vibe with my music. I think a lot of projects are spearheaded by a major label now, or they have like an A&R overseeing it, which is a lot of different people or it's a lot different than the way you would like to record or in the way a lot of classic albums have been recorded. So it really did get me thinking like nowadays artists, they get tracks from multiple writers and producers and they Mm -hmm. kind of assemble an album together. I believe the same way Andre Harris kind of believes that, that magic is created when one or two producers are involved and like no more, you know, because when you have a bunch of people in there, you have some cohesiveness and you have a quality effort. And I remember when I was in high school, the single of the album would be fire and the rest of it would be like filler or trash. I remember yeah. uh, I remember getting suckered, man. Like I think I'm not saying the Fabulous album was trash, but Fabulous had this Can't Deny It with Nate Dogg. And I was like, man, that's, right. that's a great single. And then I bought the album. I didn't like the album. And then I was like, man, I get it. You have a rapper with some Just Blaze single. It sucks me and I buy the album that I'm let down. Obviously, with the internet, that's kind of changed. But if you look at it, like look at Janet Jackson, like I mentioned before, or Amy mm-hmm. Winehouse's Back to Black, or Miseducation of Lauren wow. Hill, it's just it's like one or two producers and, and and nothing else. So it's like, yeah, you know, man. But that's like a, just I don't really think of that as like a a, a label A and R relationship. Like that's just the homie. So you feel you feel like. I, like even though I've been in the game so long, unless somebody's walking down my hallways and sees a plaque with 15 million sold, it's like, <laughs> I, I, it needs to be a full circle relationship. Like I looked up at those walls. I aspired to be that until I get that. I don't feel like I made it. I would, I would love to 
to to feel like that, you know, to feel like I made it, you know, I, I make a, a, a cool living off of the music, but as far as like, I feel like I would be a little further if I did kind of have those label relationships. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I really enjoy working with who I enjoy working with. I'm not a blab. I've kind of been down that road, mm-hmm. you know, of, of just trying to work with people because they're popping. And, you know, because it would be a good look or whatever. But a lot of times the music doesn't really come out, you know, great. So, like, that's really all I care about. Like, I can't. I'm, I've had so many records come out that I wasn't proud of that I just got tired of that feeling. You know what I mean? That's, like, that's, that's real. That's real. That's it's it's the most disappointing feeling as a as a musician because you spend so much time working on these records. You know, you put your heart and soul into like even before it's a song, like I'll fall in love with a beat or whatever I'm doing, and then to kind of have the final product just be whatever. It's like it's heartbreaking, dude. Like even 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 if it's a dope song and the mix is off, it'll like it'll still bug me every time I hear the song. And it's it's, you know it's I mean? more challenging too because you're a multi instrumental producer, which means you know hats off to trap producers. But once trap is done, you might be done. And if you produce so right. many sounds for so many different artists, it's going to open things up more for you. And I think you hold on to that feeling you get when music has that first emotional response with you and you kind of want to chase it. I don't think my daughters are going to grow up and remember, you know, maybe the first music that inspires them is a little Yachty beat. That would be kind of crazy, but I don't know. Can I take my daughter who will be 15 in the year 2030 and put on a really old Missy and Timbaland joint and have her bob her head to it? And I think that's kind of the age old question. You know, if I'm going to be proud of my beats, is this classics? Because in my opinion, classic albums, they're not subjective. They aren't opinions. It's a public consensus. You know, would you agree with that? See, that's <laughs> I, I mean, I to this day argue I mean, it's it's weird because I'm appreciative of of, you know, of people receiving it well and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, of course like it been in the past, you know, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, you see like, oh, this record helped me get to this, helped me you know, help this relationship or, you know, this person hurting me here and it led to this or whatever. So like I appreciate the records for that. But as far as like older stuff, man, that's that doesn't sound great, I don't listen to it. I might listen to it for nostalgic purposes, but like the shit still bugs me. Like I still, you know, think about the things that went wrong in the process sometimes. And it kind of it kind of fucks with me like you know, like, I can't really go down memory lane too far because, you know, like, you, you grow and your standard changes of, of, of what you think is good. I, I get it. And music's about cycles. You know, we can't be mad at the evolution of things. Um, you can't be scared to evolve. That's why it's, you know, important to stay young and current, but keep the integrity and identif- identity of who you are musically. And I think that's why I was so curious about Bieber because I wasn't sure if it was staying true as an artist or he grew into a man and he found a lane he was most comfortable in. You know, let's, you know what? Let's explore that. Like, how do we do that? How does DK the Punisher, how do you wake up in the morning? How do you uh, go to work and accomplish a sound that isn't forced musically, but allows you to work in your craft and kind of produce that middle ground? That's something that because Music is constantly changing. Technology is always changing. Um, you know, just the way we interact is always changing. It, it's kind of like a. Uh, it's kind of oh, I'm kind of always learning. You know what I mean? Learning new ways to to get to artists or or whatever. But one of the things I can control is how up on my craft I am. So. I just try to create as much as possible, try to push myself to be more creative. You got to connect with people and press play and, 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 you know, see what they're on, have them play what they're working on and just kind of go from there. You never know what, what's going to turn into what, like my relationship with, with like, sir was totally different when I first met him. Like we were, he was a, a writer, like he was strictly a, a songwriter when I met him, and we were both working with um, Andre Harris, and we just clicked, like we were just both fans of music. You know, he 
we were both super huge uh, Jay Z fans, and I had the the honor of like really, really putting him up on Dilla. You know, the master. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, Dilla and like little brother. Like, I, of course, I was familiar with like Outkast, but he really got me to like dive deep and like appreciate how amazing of an album Equimini was. And then he told me like go back and listen to Southern Playlistic, and just like I appreciate him so much for that, just on a on a music fan level. So you know, our relationship kind of just grew from you know the fact that he was dope and getting better. As we were working, like I saw like his passion, you know, he was working a day job. He would catch the bus over to the house and, you know, we would just kind of kick it and try to figure out how to get some weed. You know what I mean? Like we were both just kind of just figuring it out. And, and our bond was kind of came from that. And it's strong. Like that's that's probably the, the strongest relationship I have in this game. He ended up writing a song, uh, writing the, the uh, Jill Scott song I did. You know, so we we share that 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 level up in our career, and just like man, he brought me over to TDE and introduced me to everybody and like shit like that. Like that's that's why I appreciate those organic relationships. Like, well, like when, when a high level person tells another high level person to go listen to a project like Outcast. You're not listening it to catch a vibe. What are you listening to? Are you listening to the way the 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 chord structures are and and uh, like fill fill us in for I guess the the layman. You know, just I I appreciate music. You know, so he was like, if you like this, we were both like big Jay Z fans. He was like, if you like this, you'll love this. Like, because I've always been into like you know live instrumentation. Uh, implement it into songs and stuff like that so it just it just kind of made sense for me to be into that well i mean that, that's like a, a that's a east coast artist recommending a southern artist though where's the connection man i don't know he he's older than me first of all so i kind of missed that like i was uh i think southern playlistic came out in 96 so i was four when that came out, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, hard to appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really. The same with like you know super early Jay Z stuff. Like I didn't really start paying attention to music until like two thousand one. So, but that's the I, thing though. It's like all right, if I'm listening to Illmatic, why isn't Nas just as dope? And I touched on this on my last episode. Why isn't he just as dope mm-hmm. at age forty as he is at age nineteen? And the argument is always, well, he didn't have Pete Rock, he didn't have DJ Premier, so it's almost like you need great production to bring out the star of your lyricist. It depends though, because all right. So early on outcast had, um, man, they had dungeon family. You know what I mean? They had, uh, um, organized noise, organized noise. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And, you know, later on in their careers, they were, they were producing that like by, by equipment. they were doing most of the beats themselves. You know what I mean? So it really depends on what type of artist you are. Like you, you might not need that. Like if you have that ear, if you have that, you know, interest in the full process, like you can kind of get away with doing more yourself. Like I don't, I don't think Nas is that type of artist, you know, like he's such a lyricist and so kind of entrenched in that, that I, I think that's where he kind of lacks. Like, I don't, I don't think he has, the most amazing ear for production. I'm learning about your journey and this is what, this is kind of what I'm digesting from it. Like being a, a DIY artist, I guess it not only means you have the freedom and creative control to do what you want when you want, but also you're hundred percent responsible for your own career and making decisions that could jumpstart or stall your success, which is kind of dumb. right. So the other half of producing it's shit like this podcast, right? I see a lot of artists who have all the talent in the world yet still cannot seem to move forward in their careers. And when you look closely, for me, the stories, it's always the same, man. Lack of budget, lack of social media presence, lack of energy, lack of resources, chasing every opportunity, feeling burnout. These are all obstacles, yes, but they're also smaller goals en route to success. And they almost always stem from the same place, a lack of a plan. And when I listen to you talk, I'm hearing that plan, man. I'm hearing the relationship building. It's just, it's paid off for you in stride. I feel like, 
Uh, it might, this might be low hanging fruit. So I don't want to expand on that. Instead, what are some fundamental things that I need to make sure that I'm doing as an artist, especially in the early stages? It's funny because since I started so young, I wasn't really conscious of, of a lot of the things. So I was just, I was just doing it because I really enjoyed it. Um, not to say I enjoy it less now, but now I look at it as a skill. I look at it as a craft and I have to stay on it. I have to practice. I have to, you know, I have to be disciplined about it. So I make sure, like, even if I don't feel like creating, I'll come and I'll mess around on the keys just to keep my skills sharp. Or, you know, like, uh, that's a big part of it, like, that people miss the the discipline of it. You know, because we look at it as it's a creative endeavor. You know, we artists, we're supposed to be free, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's cool. But, you know, I'm really into, you know, people's stories, like just just great people, you know. So I'll hear about, you know, Kobe Bryant, when he missed a free throw, he would stick around and, and shoot a thousand free throws after a game or after a practice or whatever, just because he was that dedicated to his craft and it paid off, you know, just, just that level of consistency. It, it, it transcends like what you feel like, you know what I mean? Like, like at the end of the day, how I feel isn't really that important, especially like looking back on what I've done, you know, in the past, I didn't feel like doing all those. I mean, well, yeah, I I didn't really, you know, think that every record was going to be great or lent to my career, but you know, just just doing things and 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 kind of staying consistent to that path is paid off. You know what I mean? Like every everything I do as far as music is practice. Like knowing what is um, what is an emotional component of it, and knowing what is just a work component of it, and being able to separate the two and bring it back together. Is kind of really important. Do you ever think about how you want people to feel when they listen to your music when you're rapping a project? All the time. That's why we have listening sessions and stuff. And, you know, we'll come in, you know, get Blaze, listen to the project, see what feels right, move stuff around, you know, like the the process of like finishing projects, man, it's, it's tough. I feel like that's that's the hardest part for most people because... You know, anybody can, you know, get in and record a bunch when they feeling passionate. But then once you got 30 songs and you're trying to figure out what's going where, what's the single or what what are the keepers, like what's your, your strongest work? And then trying to figure out what features you need and, you know, just the whole process of finishing. That's I've seen, you know, I, I, I saw J-Rock go through that. I saw Sir go through that. Uh, last year and it's it's really like it's a stressful time you know so having those listening sessions is important and and just having different ears on it and getting people's input like that's really really important well we're, so, we're like, friends now man if you want to email me a beat and get my opinion uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I know you're big on culture too, um, and using your music to push culture, your people, creativity, and the arts. I, I had to ask you, man. Ti destroyed Floyd Mayweather with uh, a scathing diss, man, in support of Gucci. Yeah. And it seems like it's something that you would be in support of. Man, I didn't, I didn't even listen to it. Okay, but I, I appreciate the perspective. I, maybe I need to listen to it to like really have an opinion on it, but I. I understand that for who T.I. is and what he kind of stands for, it makes sense that, you know, he would have a problem with that, especially like the way the culture is going, man, you know, like paying attention. Like I watched, I watched Killer Mike's show, you know, and digested that and just all the interviews and it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, coming together this whole view of, of how responsible we are for, you know, our culture. And like you can't you can't shut that responsibility off, man. Especially being a being an older an older gentleman, you know that people look up to, that people respect, that you know like you have a voice, you have a platform, and, and so many people like 
don't want that responsibility. And I get that. You want to live your life and you don't want to have to, you know, live by, like, the, the public is, is kind of finicky, you know? So you can find yourself, you know, a slave to their whims of, of what's righteous in their minds or whatever. But yeah. the fact the fact is, like, if you have a level of integrity about what you do and what you stand for, you know, that, that transcends all. So that presents itself in you learning and, you know, your opinion may change with the times or it may not change. You know what I mean? Like it may, but you're always learning. You're always trying to be better. And when you, when you're just a 40 year old man, that's just like, man, I don't, I don't give a fuck about what's going on about, about the culture, about how people feel about me, about, you know, my responsibility to it or whatever. It's like, all right, dog, like, I get it. I'm not, I'm not looking to you for anything. Well, it's funny you say that because that's exactly what the diss track was about. So, DK, let's be pragmatic for a second. Like, so for those not familiar, the diss track was along the lines of, uh, you know, they get the fame, they get the wealth, but people are struggling. And who did you help? You know, uh, could you feed some countries out in Africa? No, you're out buying a Bugatti. And Floyd's stance was like, on the other hand, which is, uh, and I'm very curious to kind of hear your take on is what was done that, that caused so much strife? Why wouldn't we agree to a permanent boycott of Gucci? Because in this day, failing artists pick and choose the hottest trending topic as a means of seeking attention and using fake advocacy as their platform when their talent no longer benefits them. So I don't know if it's an ego versus wealth thing or if, or if this is a larger issue for the urban community. Because like you said, you know, that killer Mike trigger warning stuff's coming out. There's a lot more awareness. You know, if you're in boardrooms and you look around and it's all white people in 2019, that's a direct reflection of your leadership. Donnie, uh, Donald Glover getting the best rap song for album of the uh, record of the year at the Grammys. It took that long. You know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of people like you changing the landscape of America. It sounds daunting. It sounds like a big undertaking. But I truly believe that people like you are on the forefront because what you do is infectious and it influences and it can shift narratives. Yeah, I, I, the older I get, you know, the, the, the more I'm able to see that, you know, that people look up to us, you know, and, and, and what we do and they look at they look at creators as larger than life, you know, like that's how I was looking at people when I was growing up and, and just like, I'm really just like in the past few years, like being out in LA and, you know, meeting people, I've I've been kind of disappointed by some of the meetings, to be honest, because, you know, sometimes people aren't as passionate as I guess you would hope them to be about music or, you know, some, um, some people are just jerks it takes such a level of maturity and it's such a learning process to be able to, to, you know, separate people from their work, separating that admiration being like, Oh, this, I have an admiration for this, for what they create. I don't really, I don't know this person to admire them. You know, like I admire more of my, you know, square friends than I do a lot of celebrities just because of their character. You know, celebrity is such a fleeting thing. You know, and I've seen how people look when they're chasing that. It's not a good look, man. Like it, it, it. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you're a young black male out in LA chasing his dream, being successful, his dream, the American dream, and there are going to be kids at your shows looking up to you. And yeah, it's a weird place to be in because obviously representation is so important, and people want to be able to identify with artists. But at the same time, right. it can definitely feel like a forced narrative, especially if you're not making. It, like a personal talking point and it might be a little bit overdone but the way that Kanye hooked you I'm sure there's gonna be a moment where someone gets grabbed by your work even with the whole Kanye thing right like I'm I'm such a fan of, of what he does and uh for a long time it seemed like you know he was he was kind of the guy that you know a lot of people wanted to be like like having that sort of you know having that passion having that confidence in what you do as times have kind of changed, he's kind of doubled down on 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 whatever stance he has, and it, it kind of it kind of has been like a a hindrance to his his growth as a person. I can agree with you know that. What I, mean? I can agree with that. So it's like I'm 
I'm at a point now where like, but that's it's it's not so hard for me now to to you know be like, oh, Kanye's not that guy for me to model my life. First of all, I'm an adult now, so you know what I mean. I'm not really as susceptible to you know wanting to model my character after you know this other man over here, unless it's unless it's really a person of integrity. You know what I mean? Like like. You know, I know more of what that looks like now. Right. You know, and a lot of celebrities don't really embody that, you know, but it's because it's such a like being an entertainer, man. It leaves you so vulnerable to insecurities and and just pettiness. You know what I mean? Like trying to 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 maintain this relevance is a. it, it, a lot of times it brings out the worst in people. When you don't work a muscle, it atrophies. So if you're not working that, you know, if you're not working your brain, if you're not trying to take in new information and digest it or, you know, like hear other people's opinions and, and, and being able to sort through it, like you'll lose that ability. And I, I feel like a lot of, you know, artists or celebrities or whatever, they just don't want that internal struggle like they don't want to deal with that and so they don't because they don't have to well that's a heavy subject so i appreciate you humoring me going down that narrative with me no problem my my spider sense is going off you're rolling one up on me so i think i'm gonna gonna wind this down so you can enjoy the rest of your sunday so uh i know it's all good where where can we find you what you got cooking in 2019 any compliments you want to give my show any parting words floor is yours my friend Man, I appreciate you reaching out for real. Like, uh, it sounds like you you really have like a, a high level of appreciation and and you know doing your homework. So I I appreciate you you know hitting me up, man. And um, as far as 2019, just more music. I'm definitely putting out an um, instrumental project in like the next few months. Um, and just really my goal this year is to get in with more artists like and uh yeah get, get some more shit done alright man 2019 is a year for working you heard it here <laughs> <laughs>